Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and I am coming to you right now from Arthur, Illinois, or otherwise known as the middle of nowhere. Actually, it's about 30 minutes from Decatur, if you're familiar with Illinois. It's a long way from home for me. This is literally horse and buggy country. There's a lot of Amish in this area, and I'm seeing horses and buggies everywhere, and it's killing me that I'm not on one yet. But what am I doing here? I'm at a soccer tournament. I'm at the ACSI uh, Mid-America soccer, High School Soccer Tournament here with my son. And so at this tournament, I'm thinking about sports, which is not a subject I spend a lot of time thinking about, to be honest. But um, as I'm here, I'm thinking about an interview I did a little while back with Ted Cluck. If you know Ted, uh, he's been a he's been a guest on this podcast before author of several books, which we're going to talk about on the other side of this, including books about sports. He is a sports writer. He's a teacher as well at a Christian college, a journalism professor, and uh, author, a podcaster himself. If you listen to the Gut Check podcast or the Happy Rant podcast, you'll know who Ted Cluck is. But uh, during COVID at our school, uh, we had to do a virtual chapel, several virtual chapels, and uh, Ted was nice enough to join us for one, but he didn't want to actually speak uh, at, through the computer, but we had a conversation, we had an interview, and we talked about sports and uh, how Christians should approach sports. And so I thought, yeah, you know what, I didn't really have anything planned for the podcast this week. Uh, as we're heading into November, we're going to take a uh, a break from the podcast. That's going to be no uh, no podcast November. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking up to that. Next week, we are going to air our special Pastor Appreciation uh, podcast, but I was trying to figure out what I'd like to do this week, and I knew I'd be busy. I'm down here with the, with the tournament. Uh, actually, I've, I've been promoted to assistant coach of the team. Yes, you heard that right. I am the assistant coach of the Rock County Christian School Eagle soccer team, and that basically involves uh, getting snacks for the head coach and making sure I don't pay the admission fee. As a, as a spectator. Anyway, I drove, I've been driving with a group of teenagers. Um, that's been interesting. But I was able to give a, a, vo- a devotion this morning to the team, and that was pretty exciting. I, I like doing things like that. So I'm at the soccer tournament, so I'm thinking about sports, and so I want to air this interview I did with uh, Ted Cluck about Christians and sports. I think it'll help you. I think it'll bless you, especially if you are a, a sports guy or, or gal yourself. Um, I think it'll be good. So this was a, a, a chapel for high school students, so you'll see that you'll hear that reference from time to time. But I think it's a good interview, and I'd, I'd like to share it with you. Ted Cluck is always a fascinating guy to talk to, so you're not going to want to miss this. So without any further ado, here's my interview with Mr. Ted Cluck. And our guest this week is author and professor uh, Ted Cluck. Ted, welcome. Kevin, great to be here, man. This is fun. I've got a, a pile of your books here. And we're going to be talking about sports. I want to talk about some of your, your other books real quick just to sure. introduce you guys. One of my favorites, Re-Rapture. <laughs> um, if you, I love it. If you're into end times, this is a book for you. Um, and it's, it's hilarious. It saved my life. Mrs. Mason, if you're listening, this is how <laughs> I got through uh, one of our speech meets um, a couple of years Dude, ago. Good old Mrs. Mason. That's uh, sweet of her to be okay with that. So, um, yes, I, I read this through instead of – um, listening to the puppet shows as I was supposed to. Um, and then 
uh, two, you've written a number of books, we're some of them we're gonna talk about, uh, but I wanted to mention these two real quick. Um, the Extraordinary Life of a Mediocre Jock, which is kind of written for uh, teenage below, somewhere around that area, right? Yep, yeah, like middle school age kids, I think. Yeah, so we have a number of middle school students listening to this, and I know this comes Tony Thompson approved. Uh, Tony's right. read this, in fact, Tony is here in the building somewhere, but uh, sorry, he chose lunch over you. Oh uh, man, that hurts. I, I guess Ouch. He wanted to be with <laughs> friends. <laughs> More recently, and Tony's reading this one, The Outstanding Life of an Awkward Theater Kid. Um, these are good books. Uh, I haven't read them personally, but I'm told from Tony. So shout out to Tony. And Tony, I hope you are thoroughly embarrassed now <laughs> that I've mentioned your name in front of all your, your friends. But... So, Ted, we're going to talk about uh, sports, and you're a sports guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lifelong. You've written, you've written on the topic. You've written for ESPN.com. Um, you've written books on Mike Tyson and uh, uh, almost a book with Tim Tebow. Uh, yeah, we got real close, but uh, didn't quite make it. I would have been rich beyond our wildest dreams. I, I'd be doing this interview from a yacht if that had yeah. happened. You wouldn't be doing this interview, let's be honest, if, if that is. Well, no, don't talk like that, man. <laughs> All right. Well, I, yeah, I got to ask you this question real quick. I'm a Massachusetts guy. Okay. So um, I got to ask you, uh, your book, Facing Tyson, um, mm -hmm. how intimidating was it to be in the presence of the one Hurricane Peter McNeely? <laughs> you know what? I never, um, I never actually talked to Peter McNeely in person. We talked on the phone. Uh, the great Peter McNeely, of course, the first fight for Mike Tyson yeah. after he got out of prison. And uh, another Massachusetts guy, though, who I had a really enjoyable interview with was the great Kevin McBride, oh, okay. uh, who who knocked out Mike Tyson in Mike's last fight. So I uh, had a blast with Kevin, Mc Kevin McBride. I flew into Boston during a blizzard. So somehow our, our flight got there and uh, drove like the four miles to the to the airport hotel it took like an hour and a half and uh, had a great meeting with Kevin McBride. It was a blast. Awesome. All right. So let's jump into our topic here. Um, the idea of sports and faith. Sometimes we don't think about molding those two together or, or if we try to, it doesn't really fit. I mean, do we have to be the, the Tim Tebow and put the John 316 under the eyes or we have to kneel after every touchdown or stuff. So could you talk just, to, just, a, just a general question of, of, of how do you incorporate your faith on the playing field. Yeah, I mean, I think this was this has been a lifelong challenge for me to to figure that very thing out, Kevin, in the sense that, so I'm showing my age here, but I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. So I grew up in the decade of like terrible sports theology <laughs> in that uh, we thought that if we were good kids who like knelt in the end zone and uh, sharpied a cross on our wrist tape that God would bless mm -hmm. us by making all of our dreams come true. And um, sadly that didn't, and, and providentially that didn't happen for me, but, um, it created in me a desire to really understand why God put me here. Right. So yeah. if I wasn't here to live all my athletic dreams and quote unquote, glorify God by, um, you know, pointing at the sky after I scored a touchdown, what was I here for? And, um, you know, learning that and, you know, learning what Christ really did for me and what he requires of me has been, at times difficult and sanctifying, but at, at more times joyful and freeing. And um, it's been the, the greatest thing of my life. I mean, far greater than anything that could have happened to me as an athlete. So I think my arc was really finding my way out of the desert of that bad theology as a kid, um, learning to come to terms with what 
the Lord has allowed me to do as an athlete, as a coach, and as a coach, but then writing about it and sharing about that through some of these books that I've written on my own and some of the books that I've written with other people about sports. Um, it's been a lifelong source of fascination. And I think sports can both reveal character and build character. So I think that's why I keep going back there. Well, when it comes to um, life on the field, let me ask you this. You've got two kids yeah. and they're active in sports. And how, how do you, what do you teach them uh, when it comes oh, to uh, how to handle themselves? Don't be like your dad, <laughs> basically. But <laughs> That's uh, the same message I give to my kids. Yeah, there you go, man. I, th I think we're safe there. But no, I, in, in every way, Kevin, sports brings out both the best and the worst in me. Yeah. I mean, I'm a dog when I'm competing. And sometimes I come home and I feel guilty for things that I've said, things that I've thought. I have to apologize to my kids frequently about it. And it's, it's actually provided a way into some really exceptional gospel conversations with my kids mm -hmm. when I come home from a game that I've coached or played in and, and had to say, Hey man, I really feel convicted about what I said or about what I said about the other coach or one of your teammates. And those are raw moments, but I think they're moments in a family where we can see, we can really see the gospel at work. Yeah. And if my kids see me broken, um, that's one of the key elements of the gospel, right? If they mm -hmm. see that dad, has a repentant heart, dad feels guilt, his heart is soft. Um, and they see me cry out to my redeemer for forgiveness and, and cry out to them for reconciliation. Then I think we're doing something, even though we haven't maybe handled the situation perfectly. And yeah. I think we keep going back to sports, my kids and I, as fans, you know, we, we want to see the transcendent moment, right? We want to see the yeah. great performance. And as athletes, for me, I'm always chasing the perfect performance, right? or as a coach, I'm always chasing, you know, the perfect game, the perfect play. And we always fall short of that. So it always provides a moment where our own desires kind of bump up against the reality of life in a broken world. So a lot of chances to talk about God's grace in that equation. When it comes to, you know, we, we try to glorify God in all that we do. And we could mm -hmm. incorporate that here. One of the things I try to teach my students is that part of glorifying God is not just Pray, literal praise and worship with music and with Bibles and or whatnot. But yeah. God has given each person different talents and different abilities. Mm -hmm. And as you are, as part of, you know, back in Genesis 3, this, this or Genesis 1, this dominion mandate of taking the, the talents and abilities God has given you and, and using that and cultivating those gifts, that in itself is an act of worship. Um, it takes talent to, whether it's throwing a ball in a hoop uh, you know, trying to navigate your way through a field to score a touchdown. All of those things are taking talents and abilities that not everybody has yep. and, and using them in a way um, that, that shows that you care about what got those, those talents that God given you. You're cultivating that gift. Yeah, that's right. I think, man, one of the, one of the trickiest things in my life has been I've never, I'd never really understood what glorifying God meant. Yeah. And it was one of these phrases that was bandied about by, by Christian athletes when I was young and glorifying God in that context always meant doing really well. And um, as I got older and we all, we all hit a ceiling in terms of our athletic ability. Right. So as yeah. I got into, into college and beyond, and I started to run up against, you know, guys that were better than me and I started to get hurt and I started to have dreams die athletically um, I really had no idea what it meant to glorify God. And I really dove into that. And by God's grace, he showed me that 
Um, the way I treat people, the way I treat my teammates, the way I treat my kids now, the way I treat my opponents even um, can be glorifying in a sports context, even if I'm not the guy who's on the mountaintop, you know, doing the winning thing. Um, and that's been great, right? Because as a, as a Christian, and I think just as a person, right? So we're all, we're all created with a sin nature. We all have total depravity in our hearts, but we're also counterbalanced with that is the idea that we're all created in God's image, right? So for me, um, leaning hard into that second part and realizing that even if my play isn't perfect, even if I run up against people who are better than me, um, God can still be glorified in this and he can even be glorified in my losses. He can be glorified in my injuries. And it really creates an interesting dynamic in that I began to realize that the things that were happening to me weren't arbitrary. Um, and in fact, they were ordained by a God who had my good and his glory in mind, such that even though I was losing and even though stuff wasn't going the way I wanted it to go, and we could lay this pathology over academics or theater or yeah. debate or anything that we're winning or losing at, um, I started to realize that it wasn't just happening to me. It wasn't just arbitrary. And in fact, God had a plan. And at some level, that, that took the sting out of losing a little bit. It's still yeah. tough for me, right? Um, but knowing that he has me on this journey of becoming remade in his image day by day and year by year, um, it helps sports to feel like they matter a little bit more. Well, let's talk about the opposite of that. Now, you can yeah. tell just by looking at me, I'm a stellar athlete. Oh, um, dude, you're a thoroughbred. Kind of went I mean, pro, but yeah. um, as students, someday I'll, I'll share with you my, uh, my high school basketball story. The only time I set a record <laughs> on my high school basketball team um, so, Kevin, you were a point guard or a, a two? What are, what are we looking at? You know, it's hard to say because I, I only played nine-tenths of a second. Um, okay. <laughs> that was my record, the least amount of time played in the game. So but anyway, um, so what about that, that mountaintop experience? Let's, let's, let's say, you know, maybe there are – we've got students and, and, you know, people who really are that good. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, you do have the game-winning home run. You've got the last mm -hmm. second touchdown, whatever. And, and maybe you're – you know, one of those rare people that, you know, maybe you're on a trajectory that, you know, maybe not pro, but maybe you're going to play college ball or something. You're really yeah. that good. Yeah. How do you keep pride from creeping in uh, during those moments? Yeah. I mean, I think definitely as parents, we can pray for that for our kids, right? Yeah. If we do. Um, I think just realizing in those moments that as fun as they are, and I was, the Lord allowed me to have some of those in, in high school and beyond, but as fun as they are, there's still an emptiness there where you realize that um, if I'm taking all the glory, then my teammates aren't getting it. God isn't getting it. Um, and I think realizing that the condition of my heart is more important than the condition of my body and you know, or the condition of my, my recruitment or my Twitter feed or how many letters that I'm getting from colleges, you know, those things began to feel um, a bit empty at the end of the day when I looked at who I really was in light of, you know, my perfect creator Lord. And um, I think that conviction, you know, it can only come from the spirit. And, um, you know, if we know Christ, we can pray for uh, that conviction to happen in our own hearts so that we orient things correctly. Um, and if we don't, know, if we don't know Christ, he can still use those circumstances that we run up against in sports to teach us those things. I'm reminded of, uh, so you're a Massachusetts guy. Are you a Pats yeah. fan then, Kevin? Oh, of course. Me too, man. I'm a huge Pats guy. Uh, it's hey, you because might have we... just lost a lot of friends among our student body here. 
I know, dude, that's very polarizing, you know, and in fact, even in Christendom, there are a lot of people that think like, you can't be a Christian and a Pats fan, but uh, you and I are living proof. Yeah, we're we're living proof that you can be, but (laughs) even our our golden, you know, our golden boy of a quarterback for those years, Tom Brady, I I remember one Super Bowl, and you've heard this anecdote, but um he shared in an authentic moment like feeling like is this all there is you know uh i've been to that mountaintop uh he's there on the on the podium receiving the trophy and getting you know littered with uh with confetti but yet there was a feeling of emptiness and i think that's emblematic of of our lives and again this pathology is not unique to sports you know after you attain that relationship that you've always wanted, right? You get yeah. the the boyfriend or the girlfriend that you've always wanted and and there's still a feeling of I'm not okay yet, you know. Um, for me it was publishing after uh, after sports ended, after football ended, you know, feeling like getting a first book deal would be this transcendent moment or getting published by ESPN or getting movie made or whatever. Um, these are not transcendent moments. And in fact I find that the most transcendent moments are the ones where I feel the most dependent on Christ yeah. and, you know, being convicted of sin, being shown my redeemer, uh, being pardoned, being reminded of my pardon. Um, these are the transcendent moments in life. Right. And um, we can still enjoy sports, but I think we, we learn as we're more refined to keep them in their proper place. Now you, you did give me an excuse there to show my students my YouTube clip of the my 15 seconds of fame when uh, Tom Brady was asked about me um, okay. for just a brief second. Um, I ran for office years ago in Massachusetts, and I learned a, a difficult lesson. You never criticize Tom Brady if no. you're running for office. Um, <laughs> that's the only time I made national news or any news at all ever. Um, Dude, tell me about that. Can we go like two minutes on that? You criticized Tom. Yeah. So yeah. this was um, this was right. This was 2007. Okay. And he had Brady had just broken up with his with his supermodel girlfriend and then started up another relationship with his now his current wife. Um, but his ex girlfriend, I can't remember her name now, um, had just yeah. released the fact that she was pregnant and having his child. And me, of course, being the the uh, awesome Christian guy that I am, had to make a comment on my <laughs> blog and saying basically he's acting like a teenager and you know people need to take take responsibility for their child i didn't even know what i was talking about back then um dude shout but, out blogs too man that's a thing of the early yeah. 2000s <laughs> um but this was like a third party candidacy it was it, it was never going to go anywhere but all of a sudden mm-hmm. i'm i was also a, a pastor at the time assistant pastor and that night at church um somebody came pastor thompson uh, there's a news crew outside that wants to talk to you <laughs> and uh all of a sudden i started getting attention and Fox News, uh, Fox Sports News, uh, Fox mm-hmm. Sports had asked Brady about it. I think he said like no comment or, or something, but <laughs> for a brief second, Tom Brady knew my name. So, Dude, you existed in Tom Brady's world for a brief yes. second. That's exciting. <laughs> um, that's the only time ever that will happen. Um, oh, well. So I'll put yeah. that YouTube clip for you guys later. All right, so I'm going to get to uh, questions from the students. Uh, they submit some questions okay. here. And uh, first one here, is it ever okay to skip church for, for a wow. game for, for sports? Dude, your student's going for the jugular right oh, yeah. there, man. That's, uh, that's getting into some tough stuff right away. Um, I would say, man, I, I'm not in the business of making law, right? So yeah. uh, I never want to be the Christian author, or the Christian speaker who's, who's uh, laying a bunch of law on people. But I'll say this, I know that commitment 
and involvement in the local church has been one of the most joyful things of my life, mm. both on the level of richness of relationships and also on the level of conviction of sin and again, seeing my redeemer. You know, those things for me happen at church because I'm able to stand in a room and, and praise with my friends, right? Which is amazing. And, and which as a kind of quote unquote tough guy, fake athlete like myself, like I was never a guy who was comfortable like standing in a room and singing in front of other people. But now like by God's grace, because of the, the, the softening and humbling he's done in my heart, I look forward to that, man. Every week, I love it. And I know that a lot of people, especially young athletes and parents of young athletes, they get intoxicated by this idea that um, I've got to join every travel league and travel team and yeah. my kid's going to get a college scholarship or go to the pros. And as a result, they just dip out of church for like months at a time because they're chasing around, you know, doing these, these sports. And, and I will say from the perspective of both a college coach and also a, a, a college and, and after athlete, if you're good, they will find you. And if you have the attributes and the talent that it takes to pop off, you probably don't need to be in 25 travel leagues, you know, dipping out of church for months at a time. So I would, I would experiment with making that commitment to the local church and not giving up on sports, not giving up on athletics, but, but maybe we don't have to join this rat race of yeah. all the travel and all the, all the craziness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me ask you this question. This is, I thought this was a really good question. Where is the line between game intensity and disrespect when it comes to heat with another team? Oh, man, that's such a great one. Your students are amazing, by the way. These are hard questions. Um, I would say that I am Mr. Game Intensity to the, to the degree that I often come home feeling guilty. So, um, yeah, remembering that my, my opponent is created in God's image and remembering that the things that do or don't come out of my mouth during a game are reflections of my relationship with Christ. Um, man, I tell you, I've had to ask forgiveness from people I've played against. Like I've gone up to people or reached out to people after games and said, dude, that thing I said in the fourth quarter, I'm really sorry. I don't want that to be who I am. And um, man, those are pride swallowing moments, right? So I think praying for a soft heart and a soft conscience and letting that kind of drive how we act during a game. Um, it's just a good rule of thumb. And it's one that I'll be the first to admit, I don't always live up to it, but I want to. All right. So we are right here in the midst of Packer country. Uh, yeah. Diehard Packer fans. Um, if you were to step into our old administrator's office, it would have been like a shrine to Lambeau Field. Um, so this question is, how do you passionately follow a team but not let it become an idol yeah so these are that's one of the things I don't struggle with like I don't passionately follow a team I love the Pats and you know there are a couple other teams I enjoy watching but I'm not the guy that gets like super emotional if they lose I, I think though I will say um, a couple of my greatest football experiences took place in Wisconsin um, when I became a freshman in high school my parents started sending me to the Barry Alvarez University of Wisconsin football camp. Oh. And uh, I went to it in high school because it was the only padded camp in the Midwest. Like it was the only camp where you could, you know, put pads on and smash into people. So I have, I have fond memories of Camp Randall Stadium and Wisconsin football. Um, took a tour of the 
Packer Hall of Fame on one of those trips and uh, absolutely loved it. Got a tour of Lambeau. I mean, those are those are football shrines, right? Um, and they are like in the fall, like a central part of our life where, you know, if you're a kid in Wisconsin, you're probably going to church and looking at your watch and you can't wait yeah. to get home and watch the Packers. So um, I think what Tim Keller has, has said and written about idolatries of the heart, right? Taking a good thing and not letting it become an ultimate thing and asking yourself, if this thing was gone, could I still worship, right? Could I still, if God took it away, could I still love God? Could I love a God who took away Packer football or who made the Packers terrible for a decade, which they were between yeah. kind of between Vince Lombardi and, uh, and, and the Brett Favre era, they were pretty terrible for more than a decade. Um, so could I still love, could I still worship? Could I still be okay, okay with a God who, who takes those things away and takes them out of my life for a time? And, um, I think that's a good way to check our own hearts. Okay. Talking about going for the jugular, um, politics and sports. I mean, Ooh. you can't avoid the topic now. Yeah. Um, it's either, you know, especially if we're watching the, uh, the basketball playoffs right now, um, mm-hmm. black lives matter all over, uh, even again, NFL, uh, the, the controversy with um, the uh, national anthem. So as a Christian, how, how do we approach these things is, is the question. Yeah, so my involvement with politics and sports has always been relational. And it's always been, to me, about hospitality. So I coach um, in non-COVID seasons. I, I'm an assistant football coach at a historically black college. Uh, Lane College, where I'm the only white dude in the program, usually. And um, for me, that's all about relationships. It's all about hospitality. And, you know, at no point, if I don't kneel during the national anthem, are any of my players looking at me going, cluck must hate us or not care about us? Because they know me, right? They know my heart. They know that I love them and my home is open to them. And, and we've shared stuff together, right? We've shared life. And I think one of the one of the triumphs of sports when it's working well is that it actually provides a respite from a lot of that hatefulness that we see in society and that we see in social media because it is intensely relational. So even the fan experience, right? So if you go to Lambeau Field, Kevin, you might be shoulder to shoulder for three hours with, um, you know, an African-American guy with totally different politics or a suburban guy with totally different politics or whatever. And for that three hours, you're united in your love for the Packers. And I think that's what can be joyful about sports. And it's what can be a release from a lot of, you know, what we see in the culture. The tricky thing about right now is that um, we're having that stuff kind of foisted upon us in a space that's historically been off limits to politics. And if you're like me and politics fills you with existential despair um <laughs> this is a hard moment for you now you ran for office so you may feel different yeah, see i that. follow politics more than i follow sports so really oh my gosh how do you keep from being filled with despair this is a real question asking for myself you know honestly uh, be, it, because i believe in the sovereignty of god okay um because i believe god's in control and no matter what who wins political office I, i'm confident you know the heart of the king is in the hand of the lord and he'll turn it however he wants to in the book of psalms um, yeah. That's what keeps me sane. But I, I that's just how I was raised. I, I, I follow political races like you'd follow a pennant race. It's, it's just to me, that's my that's my thing. But fascinating. Now, if your candidate loses, how, how have you dealt with that historically? And has it been a, a, a hard moment for you in your heart in terms of placing your hope somewhere? 
So I grew up in Boston uh, or just south of Boston. So I was a Red Sox fan. So we always had that phrase of, we'll just wait till next year. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, up until, you know, was it 2004 um, yeah. when they finally, you know, because I, I, 1980s, 1990s is when I was following them. So yeah. that's just been my, my attitude. And, and right now I don't even have a horse in the race. So it's <laughs> yeah. um, a little easier to take a step back. For sure. All right, so I want to ask another question about uh, changing topics a little bit. I got a couple of questions about publishing and about yeah. uh, writing. So what, being a published author, you've written in several genres, whether it's sports or uh, theology or, uh, again, just even satire um, or cigars even. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have to some young, aspiring writers here in high school? Yeah, man, just read a lot and write a lot and work on your craft. That's what all writing teachers say. But, you know, for me, my path into writing was so non-traditional in that I, I did go to college on a football scholarship. I had no interest in academics, um, no interest in really even going to class or being bothered by any of that. And then uh, my sophomore year, I had a re-injury. I'd broken the same leg twice and had to go in for a big operation and try to come back. Let's see, fall ball my sophomore year. And I just couldn't move. I couldn't run. I was full of pain. I couldn't play the way I wanted to play. And the Lord took football away for, for a while, um, which as I look back was really embittering and hard in the moment, but really merciful in the long term because it allowed me to um, not only taste and see that God could be good in the midst of a broken dream, but also it, it opened my eyes to other things that I could do and other, other personas that I could potentially have. And into that glum 90s existential moment stepped a, a, a really hot little theater girl. Uh, her name was Kristen. And uh, Kristen was very literate and she loved to write and read. And uh, I've been married to her for 24 years now, uh, which is, is God's grace to me. But she encouraged me to write. She read some of the stuff that I read or that I had written in school. And, and she was like, you're really good at this and you don't even try. So uh, you should try. So that was, that was day one of me becoming a writer. So um, I found that I really loved it. I found that writing and telling my own story, telling other people's stories, uh, was really joyful for me. So I kind of approached it in the way that I approached football, which was to go all in and just be a savage in terms of my, uh, my work ethic and how much I was reading, how much I was writing, pursuing opportunities, getting knocked down some, getting told no. You know, I don't have thick skin. Writing teachers always say that you should have thick skin. I have the thinnest skin. Um, if you hold me up to the light, you could see through me. That's how thin my skin is as it pertains to writing. But uh, I think what football did teach me was if I lose, if I get knocked down, I got to get back on the horse right away and keep going and keep moving. And that's been, that's been good for me. That's been uh, a blessing in my writing career because sometimes you will get told no and uh, it's not a referendum on your future or the rest of your career as a writer. But I would say find authors that you love to read and read read all their work, practice a bunch, seek opportunities to get published and um, see what happens. Because my way into it was as non-traditional as you could imagine. All right, one final question before I let you go. Sure. Uh, we also have two young aspiring podcasters here listening in, and you, we can listen to you on the, the Happy Rant podcast and the Gut Check podcast. Um, <laughs> and you've, you've taught classes yeah. on, uh, on podcasting. Any, any advice for these guys? Yeah, so podcasting is interesting in that people listen for one of two reasons. You listen to a podcast primarily because either one, you want information, right? So right now, because I 
hate myself and I'm a glutton for punishment. I listen to a lot of fantasy football podcasts because even though I hate playing fantasy football, I still do it. So I'm listening to those for the information, right? I'm listening for like who I should trade for, who I should get off the waiver wire or whatever. Um, the other reason you listen to a podcast though is because you love being with the hosts, right? So what I tell students is decide which kind of show you're going to have. Um, the Happy Rant is a good example of a show where people, I think, just enjoy being with us. So we've been doing that show now for seven or eight years. It's three of us. We're all good friends in real life. And we just like being together. And we like doing the show. The show is fun. Um, even though we have a lot of listeners now, we did it for a while back when we had very few listeners. And it was still joyful. So um, if you really enjoy the people and you're able to create a world that the listener likes, um, then podcasting is great because it's very low investment, right? You can do it for free. You can do it for the laptop that you already probably have. You can record on it. You can put out products. You can keep refining and keep working on um, the craft of doing a good show and then kind of let the, the platform piece fall into place. Well, thank you for listening to that interview with Ted Cluck. I, I hope that was a blessing to you as it was to me and the students at Rock County Christian. And speaking of the students at Rock County Christian, update on my career as an assistant coach in the ACSI Midwestern High School Soccer Tournament, uh, the Rock County Christian School Eagles. Well, um, we didn't do so well. We won our first game, but kind of went downhill after that. So um, I don't know if that was my fault as an assistant coach, but here we are. Oh, well. But I do, want you to I do want to recommend you check out some of these books by Ted Kluck, some of the books that we've mentioned here. Uh, the Reason for Sports, A Christian Manifesto. It's a great little book uh, by Ted, a book that we've actually talked with Ted about before, and my son, uh, Tony, has read The Extraordinary Life of a Mediocre Jock. God, I'll do anything. Um, you want to read that? That's a more of a graphic novel for kids right around preteen, early teens. Uh, my son loved it. I think you will as well. Um, other books by, by Ted. Uh, we talked about his book on adoption on a previous episode. Hello, I Love You, Adventures in Adoptive Fatherhood, which is just a great book. you want to read that. Um, also, we've got his latest book, which is a collection of essays. I've read this. It's great. A Hard Thing on a Beautiful Day and Other Essays. Um, you can read his other <laughs> books as well. You can uh, go through and read his books on football or Facing Tyson is an interesting book. Also his book with Ronnie Martin, The Bridezilla of Christ. These are all books that I've, that I've bought and I've enjoyed. But anyway, all right, so we want to wrap this up and join us back next week. Next week will be, if everything uh, goes according to plan, will be our special Pastor Appreciation Month episode. And then after that, we're going through no podcast November. So we're, I'm taking the month of November off. going to do a little more uh, recording during that time, but also just a time just to take a little bit of a break from the podcast. All right. Well, until next week, have a great rest of your week. <laughs>